Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, Empathy Heroes. My name is Known Wells, and I am the creator and host of this podcast, You, Me, Empathy. Thanks for being here. Today's episode, episode 26, Tony the Therapist and I explore the evolution of therapy, maladaptive coping mechanisms, that's a hard word to say, and the myths and origins of eating disorders. We also talk about why uh, mental health treatment and research needs specialization. And I also get into my anorexia and I attempt to discover its origins. So today's an interesting episode. Make sure you go back and listen to episode 25 with my guest, Laura Hearn, uh, about her uh, eating disorder story. It's it's very powerful and, and uh, a good one. So go check that out. Thank you for being here. And... Uh, Please leave Yumi Empathy a rating and review in iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It uh, it's a free way for you to support the show and to uh, get this show up in the ranks. Uh, because life is all about winning and beating the enemies and beating our foes. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it would help me out and it would make me delighted. And I uh, I like to check and review those uh those um read those reviews i should say um so please do that thank you i love you and enjoy this episode episode 26 on the evolution of therapy and eating disorder myths thanks a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe place a conversation between friends, a place to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am excited to go on another empathy journey with my friend Tony for uh, Tony time. Hello. Hello. 
How are you? I'm great. How are you? It's good to see your face. I know. It's been a little while, right? Studio slash office slash second bedroom slash fart den. <laughs> slash library. Slash, slash all the things. Stuffed animal. Yeah. Emporium. Yeah. Slash Scooby slash breath. Scooby breath. Um, <laughs> so many things. So many good things, but it's good to be back. Yeah. Welcome it's back. It's been a few weeks, right? Since we it recorded, has, I think. It has been a few weeks. Uh, why don't you before we... So, for the listeners, today we're talking about eating disorders. This is the follow-up episode to my chat with Laura Hearn. Uh, Laura Hearn is, runs a play, uh, website called Jigsy's Place, uh, which uh, is a, a w- mental health awareness sort of operation, creative effort that focuses on um, supporting and helping people who have experienced or are experiencing currently eating disorders. And Laura is is great, and I was really honored to to connect with her. So if you haven't listened to that episode, please do uh, go back and listen to that episode. It's a good one. Um, but before we get into eating disorders with my friend Tony for Tony time. Tony time. Tony time, Tony time. Uh, we will, um, well, I will but Tony will do his little spiel because uh, we don't want to get sued. Go ahead, Tony. So, yes, our little spiel. Is our little, oh, my little spiel. Your spiel. License spiel. Yeah, license spiel. Not that this is for entertainment purposes only. That's, we have that, right? We have that. That's, we have oh, that okay, down great. pat. Yeah, John, our good buddy John Thank does you, that John. Now. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah. So, um, well, hello, listeners. Uh, so, legally, I am known by the Board of Behavioral Sciences in the state of California as Anthony Romike, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, license number LMFT 47805, and I work in a private practice in Tustin, California. I have a, a wonderful little uh, little place there in what we call Old Town Tustin. And uh, you've actually not been to my office, have you? I have not. Oh, we'll have to give you the tour. That sounds fun. Yeah, not really. But <laughs> I, I appreciate the sounds delightful. Appreciate <laughs> Maybe we'll at least grab Ooh, lunch. Look at this office with the cat poster that says "Keep <laughs> hanging in there." <laughs> it's your own damn vault. Right? Yeah, yeah. From Land of the Lost, one of my favorite movies. Um, so yeah, I think that's everything, right? Board of yeah. Behavioral Sciences, licensed marriage yeah. and family therapist, uh, certified sex addiction therapist through the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. And I think that's my spill. Sounds great. Wonderful. So today we're talking about eating disorders. Yes. And let's first start by uh, just talking maybe uh, a little bit about uh, what an eating disorder is. Sure. That's I mean, probably, yeah. I mean, we can both sort of right. like hash it back and forth. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, yeah, the are, idea is we... that, you know, there's anorexia, there's Correct. bulimia, there's all sorts of different types of eating disorders. Absolutely. And, you know, another way to say it, disordered eating. Right. Right. Where we have uh, unhealthy behaviors and unhealthy relationships with food and how we correct. experience food. Is correct. That correct. That's very thorough. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really kind of a great summary of, of what we talk about when we're talking about disordered eating, you know, yeah. eating disorders. And, and yeah, it's kind of that idea that there's a pathological relationship with eating, right? There's, right. There's, a, there's an issue of disordered eating in which is, you know, mainly, um, you know, in terms of an objective focus, you know, behavioral in nature, but um, certainly, you know, has its underpinnings in, uh, you know, obviously in a psychological, emotional, and a, you know, neurobiological basis. But, um, you know, but ultimately, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a really a, a dysfunctional relationship with food in which now is creating, you know, problems in a person's life. 
there's, you know, impacts and, and, and certainly one of the, the most significant and serious is um, health. Right. I mean, it, 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 you know, this, this is that one issue in which um, there is a very, 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 you know, severe um, issue with, you know, people's overall general sense of, of well-being and health. So, yeah. And the, the physical impact is, is huge. The brain, you know, the body, the bones, uh, the heart, yeah. all of that. Is, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, this this is again one of those issues in which um, you know there there is the, the possibility of, of obviously a severe impact right. to um, physical functioning and and even in obviously in worst case scenarios, you know, death. Yeah, so, yeah, it's very serious, very very serious issue. So you were mentioning before we got started recording here that you have uh, some experience. It's limited uh, right. uh, experience with uh, folks patients who who've had eating disorders in in you in that limited experience what what how did that go what's what's that what's that like yeah and you know one of the the you know reasons for for my you know that somewhat limited experience is it's a very you know eating disorder specifically you know as you know in addition to obviously some other you know issues you know probably addiction being one of them it really 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 requires um specialized training and specialized treatment and you know as a result of that it's really really important that you know the person who's i'm gonna take him out of here sorry that's all right keep going we're having scooby issues goodbye scoobs it's too hot in here and he needs water and he really was enjoying the affection today. <laughs> well, I know you were. And I was as well. That's a big part so, of your therapy. Scooby is a nice part of this process. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, specifically eating disorders, again, you know, similar to, to other addictions, as I mentioned, is really a specialized area of training and a specialized area of treatment. And and I that's not my area of, you know, of, of work. And right. so... You know, if it comes into my office in one form, it's not been a primary presentation. It's been something that's been uncovered, you know, probably in an intake process, an assessment process. And at that point, you know, it's, you know, the the, the necessity of, of that person's treatment is really going to be a referral to somebody who's specialized, you know, in that area of, of treatment. So, again, you know, you'll the listeners will probably hear us mention this many times throughout this podcast, but, you know, this is a very specialized area of, of training and treatment. And, you know, this is, in my opinion, something that doesn't, you know, or I'm sorry, it's going to require somebody with that specialized training, you know, to really potentially do, you know, you know for sure to do good work with somebody right. who's suffering from this issue. So, in, in the, you know, the, the, that limited time when you sort of uncovered this, sure. what, what kinds of things did you notice? Um, well, mainly, I think what you start to notice, not unlike many other things, maybe addiction related, is that, you know, again, just, you know, kind of in general concepts and ideas, thinking about that somebody might be presenting with, you know, maybe more psychological, emotional based type of issues that maybe, you know, present again as anxiety, you know, or, or potentially, you know, depression based type of, you know, issues, maybe, or maybe you're, you know, the experience of a major depressive episode, um, maybe relational problems, you know, as a result of, of stressful dynamics, maybe that's occurring in a marriage or in a family. Um, and so the presentation might again, take, you know, various types of, you know, other, you know, emotionally based, relationally based type of issues or psychologically based issues. Um, but again, this might be underlying the actual, you know, 
presentation. But how does, how do you like, or maybe the question is, yeah. did you in those few experiences discover it yourself that, okay, this is an eating disorder and therefore I need to pass it on to an expert in that field or right. did that come at a later time? Um, oh boy, you're forcing me to think. Think, man. Think, I know. Um, I think more often than not, if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like the presentation or the, the you know, the actual assessment or, or our identification was fairly quickly. Um, yeah. Some of which can be uh, an observational, you know, um, visual experience of the client in which, you know, you can, you might be able to tell that somebody is significantly severely underweight. Sure. And, sure. and you know, without any other type of medical, you know, illness or, or you know, type of issue occurring that, you know, might right away kind of alert you that this could be, you know, potentially an issue. But again, a lot of people who might potentially present with this isn't necessarily always going to present underweight. I mean, that's, right. you know, that's not always, we may see that with, you know, anorexia nervosa, but we may not necessarily see that with somebody who binges and burges. Right. Um, you might, but you, you know, but may, you know, very well may often not experience that. And so, you know, again, it, it's really a part of the thorough intake process, you know, in which, and, you know, sometimes people will say certain words or a phrase or, you know, something that just might clue, you know, clue you into some of maybe the behavioral patterns that somebody might be, might be doing that just kind of, kind of perks your ear and, you know, you might kind of, or, you know, potentially you'll start down a pathway of, of more probing questions in that general type of area. And, you know, I'm always wanting to kind of look for anything that might be compulsive, you know, yeah. for a person. And looking at, you know, maybe a compulsive, you know, behavior that somebody might be um, involved with consistently that might be, again, negatively impacting their lives. And, and when somebody presents, I mean, more often than not, they're presenting because whatever it is that they're, again, dealing with has generally reached a problematic level in which they're now seeking attention, uh, not or not attention, you know, they're actually seeking help. And they're really looking, you know, the, there's some identification that this is problematic, mm -hmm. you know, and, and generally it's reached some significant level of disruption in their life. Hence, you know, the reason they're seeking help. And uh, so there's, you know, and again, it's it's not that you're always going to see everything, you know, something right. may unfold later down the line, um, particularly something that might be very shameful, you know, in, in which there may not be you know, right away until maybe more trust is developed in the relationship. There may be more protection around these very secretive type of behaviors. So, it might potentially be something that is vetted out later. Right. Um, so, you know, so it can, it can take obviously very various forms in its presentation. It, it, you know, you, we've mentioned a few times that like, you know, there are therapists who specialize in certain areas of mental health. Correct. You know, is is there a you know world or a, a a therapist who has a specialization specialization in all the things? Is that even possible? Wow! Or? Oh gosh! Probably not possible, right? It's just I, too I, much. I think there's just too much uh -huh. for me. I mean, I, yeah. I if I think about that, I, I know there would there's no way I I could ever think that I was an overall specialist in, right. in all presentations of 
of, you know, for me as a marriage and family therapist, we're looking at, you know, um, the systemic nature of relationships and the impact that has on, you know, emotional functioning, behavioral functioning, and so forth. And, and you know, so even within that, I know as, as marriage and family therapist, we're already working within a scope. Right, right. You know, and again, a, a psychologist, a clinical psychologist is going to have their scope. A forensic psychologist is going to have their scope. Um, you know, a psychiatrist is going to work within their scope and a Makes social sense. worker. So, you know, we're already somewhat divided within each one of our individual fields with regards to our scope of practice. And so, so I, you know, so no, <laughs> I doubt it. I mean, do you think that that is as a result of, and we'll get back to eating disorders in a sure. second, but it fascinates me. Do you think that is because that these areas of study and learning are so vast and there is still so much to know about the brain and, and mental health and, and all these things. Sure. Yeah. I think so. And, and I think there's a historical, you know, context to what we're talking about as well. And if you go back and study, you know, psychological and, or, you know, the mental health field and, and the helping professions, you know, I think if you look at it historically, I think it's, it is fascinating. I mean, I, I, I find it very fascinating as well to really think about what the, you know, the evolution of mental health treatment has looked like mm-hmm. really over the past hundred years. You know, I mean, you know, if we want to go back and look at early, the founders of psychoanalysis, you know, whether that's Sigmund Freud, Charcot, whether that's, uh, you know, Carl Jung and a lot of the, you know, the early pioneers of, of mental health treatment is and and really looking at the social you know constructs and, and context of of how certain professions you know really kind of manifested you know originally this was an area of medical expertise mm-hmm. right and and where i think you you know we now get the field of psychiatry right you know right. And, and, and you know what that has and psychiatry for a long time really functioned as a primary mental health treatment specifically related to like psychoanalysis, you know, right. and that was for a long time. But then we had kind of an evolution in which we had psychopharmological, you know, you know, interventions that then, you know, meds, meds, yeah. you know, within the last 30 years that really changed in my opinion, and fair to say, I think, you know, really changed the treatment specifically from psychiatry. And I think it moved, not all certainly, but, you know, I think with some psychiatrist, and and because it's a medical model, you know, I think we've we've evolved, it's evolved into more of a psychopharmological intervention as opposed to what it was originally, which was more around psychoanalysis. Mm-hmm. And so there's been an evolution there. And then I think you know, as different theoretical you know understandings of um, you know moving away from a psychoanalytic individual intrapsychic, uh, meaning just with the person orientation of treatment, going back to early psychoanalysis, as we started understanding the impact of relationships and that who we are and and the fundamental shaping nature of relationships, I think there was an evolution even within psychoanalysis to start understanding that, you know, relationships are, are primarily significant in who we are, why we're, you know, who we are, why we do what we do, why we feel what we feel. And when were those breakthroughs? Well, you know, we went through many different breakthroughs. I mean, if you go, you know, really back into, and again, part of this has, well, not kind of, it has a significant impact with social um, or governmental governmental 
functioning as well. I think once we moved into funding this, and stuff, funding, yeah, exactly. You know, once once there was this kind of institutionalized funding right. around treatment, you know, which I think we started seeing post entitlement errors. You know, once once government became more involved uh-huh. in societal ills, you know, post depression, you know, era yeah. type of, yeah, yeah, of yeah, government. Yeah. I think we started looking at, you know, again, mental health as a whole and, and how do we treat this? What's the best settings? You know, but I mean, what's the best settings? What's the best settings that are financially, you know, an option, which, you know. Right. And then there's the whole other side of it being like, you know, uh, you read about or you hear about or you read stories about where there was a time where, I mean, in the 50s, sure. particularly, you know, the time where you know, therapy, that's, that's for the week. Why would you do that? You just got to suck it up, you know? And, and so there's that side of it, the social side of it as well. Yeah. Like the social stigma side that we've talked about on the show, you know, the, 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 the social stigma around mental health and, you know, and, and what's that evolution even look like in a post-World War II society. Right. And, you know, and I think we've, We've, in some respects, made great leaps and bounds, and, and otherwise, and, and at other times, I think you know it's been a very slow you know progression. And but you know I think through all these you know again these different social constructs you know we've we've continued to evolve uh, our mental health treatment. And again, I think you've had it's really been. Uh, I mean, I just have so much respect, and I have so much you know praise for you know all the different types of theorists who have you know, maybe challenge the system or, or just, you know, really, um, you know, researched, developed their own theoretical orientations. Cause, you know, we went through a period, you know, you know, like with behavioralism, you know, when you had people like Skinner, um, BF Skinner, who, you know, really postulated that, you know, we are, you know, animals basically. And, you know, and, and, you know, we, we are conditioned and, you know, very much from a, you know, again, a behavioral type of perspective mm-hmm. where the, you know, the big lab rat, so to speak, in the big cage mm-hmm. and, and really looking at behavioral interventions. And again, some, some, some great value to that. I mean, you yeah. know, there's some amazing, amazing work done. And then you had people who started working from a, you know, what we call now today, you know, kind of the birth of a marriage and family therapist, this idea of a systemic approach, you know, and and what happens to us or, you know, again, how do we develop or where does pathology develop as as a result of relationships and Uh looking at the significance of what does it look like to be in relationship and what exactly is the impact of that with regards to mental health. And you had a lot of people in the 70s doing a lot of great work, you know, Virginia Satir and a lot of wonderful people who did, did work around Did you study uh, Kinsey? Not a lot. I okay. mean, you know, a little bit of Kinsey, um, but not a whole bunch of that in a marriage and family. Gotcha, therapist. gotcha. Yeah, but, um, but certainly fascinating and probably yeah. somebody I researched more out of my own just kind of personal interest later. Sure, sure. Particularly as it related to, you know, sex and, yeah. you know, and everything, obviously, I mean, that that's... Yeah. So, yeah. um, You know, then we went through a big, big uh, period of cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, where, you know, in in the 80s, particularly, where that was really, you know, um, kind of a fundamental treatment model. And I think where we've evolved now really is, you know, in in this kind of, you know, what what we're past it now, but it used to be called the decade of the brain, probably from the mid 90s, early 2000s till now is really looking at neuro, you know, really, really, really researching neuroscience and really understanding brain-based 
development, um, brain-based pathology, and really looking at, um, you know, great work by uh, Jacques Panskip, uh, Alan Shore, you know, Luis Cozzolino, and a lot of people we've referenced on this show before, Bessel van der Kolk, as I think we mentioned every, every episode. <laughs> um, but really looking at people who are looking at the neuroscience of whether that's attachment, you know, and, and the, you know, early childhood development. And, you know, and even within psychoanalysis now, you know, there's, there's seems to have seems to be this really, really important merging of neuroscience and psychoanalysis to really understand um, what is the significance of what, you know, early theorists of psychoanalysis would have talked about with regards to object relations, meaning what's the significance of, of the child, parent, or caregiver relationship in the development of pathology. And now we can really understand that from a neuroscience perspective with the use of uh, fMRIs, the functional uh, MRIs that we now have, uh, the, you know, the ability to use on people and really do the neuroimaging that is really helping research just, you know, just really just progress at, at an amazing rate with, with wonderful research that's being done. And, and so I think what, what you've gotten through this whole process is, is all the, you know, all these different divisions of mental health treatment that we've just talked about, whether that's social work, whether yeah. that's marriage and family, whether that's psychiatry, whether that's clinical psychology. And, you know, what I hope for at some point, maybe this goes back to your question of, is, is there one, you know, one person that kind of does everything, you know, I, I don't know what exactly that could look like in the future, but I could certainly see kind of an emergence of a lot more overlap in, you know, in, and I don't know exactly what maybe that'll look like 20, 30 years from now. Right. But I think we might see more of, of emerging, you know, in a lot of these different divisions of treatment. So. Cool. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. No worries. So here's a big question and you may not know like the, the last answer. one wasn't. Holy smokes. Where, where are we going on this one? Here's another question where you can talk for the next 10 minutes. Uh, why why do eating disorders exist? Why does that happen? I mean, obviously it's very individualistic. You know, it's very it's up to each individual why that happens, but right. are there some overarching themes that are happening in society and in, in our our brains, you know, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Um like I said, the definitely not my area of of, you know, expertise by no means, but you know, I, I hopefully I'll maybe be able to hit a couple key points. And uh, if there's anybody out there listening to this who does treat eating disorders, just cringe if I well say something reach out to me at youmeempathy at gmail.com. Better yet, reach I'll, out. I'll have you on the reach podcast. Reach out to youmeempathy. We'll have you on. The, yeah, that would be better. Um, but I am going to give you know somewhat of a limited understanding and yeah, perspective. That's obviously. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I think you know almost like anything. I think there are maybe some more common types of things that we could think of when we think of a particular pathology. And I think you're right. At the same time, let's not lose sight of the individual nature right. of, of each individual person's presentation. Sure. You know, I think both are, are so vital in, in, in treatment and working with somebody, you know, and, and, you know, never lose sight of the person as person and their unique experiences and their unique presentations. Um, but as a whole, you know, I would say one of the things that you might, you know, might be exploring or, or might potentially, you know, come up in, in the area of, of eating disorders is really this idea of, or not idea of, but really this concept of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not uncommon to see anxiety as, as a root issue or potentially a root issue of an eating disorder. 
um, as well as, you know, something you and I've talked about several times on this show as a maladaptive coping mechanism. Yeah. And yeah. I think that tends to be probably very common and it's, you know, maybe not very unlike sex addiction or other process based behaviors, uh, behavioral addictions in which the person has developed a specific form of coping, right. you know, as an attempt to manage whatever they might be going through emotionally and that, again, is an attempt to, you know, I, I, th this is probably way overused in the, in the field of eating disorders, but a lot of times people will talk about that it's a, you know, maladaptive coping that might be, you know, the person might be struggling to gain some form of control in their lives in which they may not feel in control. And again, I think that's true for all of us at some level. Yeah. But, you know, could this potentially reach a point of, again, you know, pathology and compulsiveness? And and yes, obviously, in these cases that we're talking about, it has. But I think more so, it's this kind of idea, you know, not unlike, again, maybe sex addiction or, or other, you know, behaviorally based, compulsive based uh, behaviors. It's which what I sometimes will call something's coming out sideways, Meaning, you know, whatever might potentially be happening in the person's life that might be overwhelming to them psychologically, emotionally, relationally. And there's not the internal, you know, coping strength or healthy coping mechanisms to really allow them to process and work through and heal from, you know, whatever it is they might be dealing with. And so, you know, these process-based, behavioral-based addictions or, or, or behaviors might ultimately become, you know, an attempt at a solution or, you know, or at least the attempt at some form of healing, you know, I mean, maladaptive, obviously. Yeah. Escape, healing, escape, whatever, healing. all these things. Correct. Um, in my mind, again, not a professional, but in my mind are, we have, we're experiencing some anxiety. We're experiencing feelings of out of control. We're experiencing a thing that is troubling. It's, we feel like we don't know how to handle it or fix it and right. we seek alcohol or, or eating or, or or sex or whatever these things that sure. we know well and Correct. we have a little bit more control over it. We know how they make us feel. Right. Well, and you know, it's interesting too because something I've heard before, read about, you know, and, and I think people share in, in, you know, different ways. But the idea that... I found myself, you know, slowly restricting, right? Or I found myself mm -hmm. slowly controlling. And maybe that was, you know, even as a result of bullying, right? You know, social mm. pressures, bullying. Sure. And all of a sudden, I started getting affirmations. I started getting, wow, you look wonderful. Wow, have you lost weight? Wow. And all of a sudden, there's this, you know, there is this reinforcement now, right? That's occurring. Yeah. I mean, there's this positive affirmation the person is receiving. And maybe that's not something, you know, they've received a lot of. Or maybe that's… Right. That's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. It's very powerful. And, so, you know, particularly if we're thinking about different age demographics, right? I mean, if we're thinking about maybe a teenager, yeah. a young adult, and which is just such a brutal time. I know. I mean, just such a difficult difficult emotional time and i mean gosh i wouldn't you know even want to guess at this but i mean you know what i would think it's high you know the vulnerability that most you know teens or young adults feel you know you know in relationship to their peer groups or society at large oh my gosh i know i yeah i mean <laughs> right. you're you're trying to figure out your identity but you identity. have your you have your parents who are you know, there right. and sort of trying to inform your identity and you're trying to, you know, but you right. live under the roof. And so there's, 
yeah, I mean, you're trying to create yeah. your own identity. You know, maybe you're rejecting theirs developmentally. You know, maybe it's or or it's maybe something you just don't feel. You know, it's just not something you identify with. So you're yeah. trying to create your own separate identity, and you're trying to fit in with your peer group, right? I mean, you know, I. I kind of always love this concept, you know, that developmentally is, you know, as a young adult is breaking away from their values that their parents may have set for them. And the idea that, you know, I, I've, you know, heard parents say at different times before, like, you know, I don't understand why they're doing this and I don't understand, you know, what their, why their peer group is so important. And, and I really do enjoy adolescent studies and, and understanding those, that developmental history of, of young adulthood. It's really significant that that they can, right? I mean, it's really significant that they do form their own identity. It's really important. It has that they, to. It has to. I mean, like that's. I mean, that's like that's our evolution. It's our breaking evolution. away. Like that's part of it. We are leaving the nest. Yeah. I mean, we will be leaving the nest at this young age, and it's and the, you know it's an evolutionary or it's an you know it's an inevitable developmental process that has to occur. Right. And you know. They're going to be surviving amongst their peer groups. I mean, and, and they'll be doing life with their peer group, you know, for, for, you know, the, the time, you know, for the rest of their lives potentially. And so, you know, this, this is such an important time, you know, and, and, um, so, you know, obviously having that peer acceptance is going to be so important. I mean, it's going to be so important that they feel accepted by their peers. And what if they feel like they're not accepted, right? You know, maybe right. they, they, they're not feeling affirmed. They're not feeling, that they are a part of their social group and they've lost weight. Now they're getting this, you know, like these affirmations and maybe acceptance. When we think of the brain and we think about the, re- you know, the reward based system that we have in the brain. And if we start, you know, I, you know, one of the things I can understand from eating disorders and, you know, again, some of the exposure and, and understanding of what I've read and so forth is, you know, the reward, or I'm sorry, the brain, you know, like in other process-based behavioral addictions, you know, has a really big part in this process and, you know, in the forming of this type of compulsive behavior and understanding that it it really, you know, significantly incorporates the reward system of the brain and also the learning uh, system within the brain as well. And, you know, so you start foraging, you know, these learning-based processes within the brain and, you know, you're also tapping into this reward-based system as well. And, you know, you you can create something, you know, obviously that very much gets out of hand and, and very much becomes out of control and also becomes very difficult to treat because this isn't an issue of willpower. You know, this ultimately becomes, you know, again, this, this neurobiological, you know, issue when we're now talking about the way in which the brain has, you know, wired around the specific behavior, so... And food is a thing we need to survive, right? It, it is food is <laughs> it's one of those biological drives that yeah. exactly, and you know, and again, I think that's why this makes you know eating disorders specifically are so difficult to treat because if the thing you have so much anxiety around is the thing that is going to keep you alive, um, you know, we have a very complicated, serious issue. You know, not unlike sex, right? You know, in which um, now ne- sex isn't necessarily something we have to keep it us keeps alive. Me alive. It keeps no one alive, <laughs> but um, but it's certainly part of our biological drives, right? right. I mean, you know, food and yeah. sex. I mean, it's it's a part of you know our biological you know desires and food, sex, cheese specifically, and maybe yeah, cheese, cheese, sex with cheese, sex with cheese, <laughs> all of the above. Sorry, listeners, we learn something new all the time with them. But uh, so I'm I'm as you're talking about that, I I'm thinking about I'm, I'm trying to think about when. 
for me in my eating disorder, and I had anorexia, for me when it started, and it's hard to think about it. It's like hard right. to, it's hard not like, um, let me rephrase that. I can't remember. I just can't remember. Right. Um, so lately I've been thinking about like, or just lately, I mean, just today, <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in, uh, an environment where let's, let's forget about like trauma and stuff. Sure. My mother worked in the fitness industry mm -hmm. and that was very much sort of a prevalent part of like her identity and, and, and she's a very outwardly, you know, identifying person, you know, yeah. like she wears her stuff on her sleeve and she's right. very outspoken about it. And she was my P PE instructor, you know, in junior high and things like that. And I so, never knew this. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she's worked in the fitness industry as like an aerobics instructor and all these things for since the seventies. Like she yeah. worked under Richard Simmons. Did she really? Yeah. Wow. I know. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But um, I'm wondering like sometimes if like, I don't know if that played a role, but like it well, might think, have. Well, yeah. Cause I, it, I mean, it might I'm, have. And again, if I'm hearing you correctly, I think what you're maybe wondering is what messages did I get? from right. her, right? You About know, physical appearance. Physical appearance, fitness, fitness health, health. Yeah. Right. And I got a lot of messages. I I did consult my mother um, throughout the years, you know, because I was an athlete. I played soccer and I got injured and I needed to strengthen certain areas. So I always kind of like reached out to my mom yeah. for this advice about that stuff. And she was always very helpful on that. And I'm wondering if there was like some, something there where I maybe took it too far or something. I, I just can't remember. Right, yeah. But I do remember um, just starting to slowly restrict. Yeah. And and restrict to a point. Um, Probably by what age? I mean, what do you... This was... Um, this was... Uh, it really kind of started my sophomore year of college. Okay. So I'd have been, I would have been, uh, I was 20, 19, 20, around okay. there, 19 or 20. And um, I remember going to Alaska and working up there. Um, and on the way back, turning 21, I know that. But even at that time, I, I started to lose weight yeah. and sort of lose muscle mass. And and um, I don't know, like, I, I'm, I don't know why... I did it. Yeah. I think my, you know, through writing and stuff over the years and therapy, like a, a few things um, that I've learned is that, okay, I was trying to, as I said many times in my writing and to people, mediate my parents' marriage. Like that was a thing that I tried to do. I tried to, hey, they had a terrible relationship and they got divorced and remarried back to each other twice, yeah. you know? And um, there was a period of time where I wanted to, I don't know, I like took on the burden of like wanting to make that work. Yeah. Even even though like, I think deep down I, I knew it wasn't going to, but I, I, I don't know, I, I, I kind of, um, I just took that on and then when... I, it was clear that, that things weren't going well. Like my mom was always crying on my shoulder and then I'd go to my dad and, and my dad would yell about mom and I would go back and forth between those two yeah. st stark, 
kind of biting realities. And I felt powerless and I felt like a terrible son in mm. weird ways. I mm. felt, uh, and I think it started in that mix. Yeah. It started in that mix and control was probably part of it. It was probably, you know, I think if I'm being honest with you and myself right. that I think I wanted to punish them. Oh, wow. You know, it was like a way to hey, look at me. I'm dying because of you. Like, mm. that's like, these are the thoughts I had, you yeah, know? Yeah, right. And um, Thoughts later or at the thoughts, time? Thoughts later, later, I think. Yeah. Like, I think th that only came later because... Yeah. While you were, you know, really reflecting. Yeah, I was really reflect reflecting after. Yeah. I mean, it's like pretty quickly after I had those thoughts. Right. Um, but, you know, in the moment, it was just such a, just such a foggy time in my sure. life. Um, but yeah, I just started restricting and, and eating less and less and running a lot, you know, yeah. and I would go off on 10, 15, 20 mile runs and, wow. and tell like, you know, everything hurt and I had to walk back, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I, and I think one of the really key points that you're bringing up that might be really helpful, you know, to, to our listeners is this idea that, you know, there's not always a clear, you know, issue or right. you know, thought or, you know, and, yeah. you know, and a lot of times something like this might grow out of something that you might not be able to look back and identify the thing, right? You know, right. I mean, it's, you know, and I, in fact, you know. You don't need to. You don't need to, exactly. I think, there, I mean, it's, I think what you're saying, sorry, I'm interrupting, no, no, but ahead. like it makes me think like sometimes, and I know I've done this, is we want an easy solution. We want a key to if the I know thing. The if thing, I know the thing, right. oh, I know how to fix it or whatever. But right. in in things like mental health and eating disorders, right. and it, it oftentimes it is so complex. Yeah, it's just not that simple. It's not that simple. No. You know, so right. be kind to yourself. <laughs> yeah, be kind, be compassionate. And and usually to this point exactly, I mean it, it's it's a multi-layered complexity. Right. You know, and it's a you know it's a confluence of things, you know, that that may have good word. Do you like that? Yeah. Thank you. Professional over Did here. I use it correctly? Yes. Oh well wonderful, yes. even better. <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean it you know, so it's you know, yeah, to to try and find the thing, right? I mean just yeah. Needle yeah. in a haystack. I mean, not going to be so, but, but you know, again, understanding the multi dynamic, you know, influence of of what something might be, and when it comes out, right? I mean, like you said, for you, that was sophomore year of college. I mean, the origins of of when some of this may have started taking root, you know, in terms of you know, multi, you know, this multi layered process again. I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? You know, and what all the influences were that came together to then create this specific behavior. Yeah. So. I mentioned it in my episode with Laura, but it always sticks out in my head as I, I think an important fact or an important, not fact, but just an important part of my story and then just important part of sort of mental health as it pertains to specifically eating disorders is meeting with um, a therapist at the University of Swansea and being so, you know, I was 120 pounds at that point. Wow. And, uh, you know, everything hurt. My hair was falling out. I was super gaunt. I was smoking. I was like rolling my own cigarettes. thought it was pretty cool. But I was smoking cigarettes because there's just like. Because I'll do that. Appetite, su appetite, right, appetite suppressant. Right. Like, you know, I, I was just right. so like out of my mind. And uh, I went to see. Nicotine stimulant. Stimulant. Yeah, right. all those things. And I. 
But, you know, clearly I did intellectually understand that, like, I am struggling. I'm having, yeah. like, I don't know how to get through this. And so I went and saw this therapist, this woman at the University of Swansea in Where Wales. Where is that? Wales? Okay. Wales, yeah. Okay. It's like South Wales. Okay. It's right on the water. Um, uh, famous actress has a house there in Bumbles. Uh, she was married to Michael Douglas. Oh, um, she's a Welsh actor. Yeah, Catholic Catherine Zeta Jones. Catherine Zeta Jones. Okay. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. She lives like right there. Wow. Yeah, uh, we were buddies. Of course, no, not really. But yeah. um, anyway, so I saw this therapist, and I, I don't know if I was a- able to be so direct about it, yeah. but I, I told her I was struggling and I was losing weight, and I, I, you know, had a hard time with food and. She just had no clue how to handle wow. me. She had no clue. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't look back on that as a, as a you know, I don't, I don't have any malice toward this woman. It was yeah. just, I think that eating disorders are such a complex thing. And, you know, obviously there's like stigma around like women in eating disorders right. and how it's like this vanity thing. Right. And then you throw into the mix, oh, this man has an eating disorder right. and this was, you know, 15, you know, yeah. 16 years ago, yeah. you know, so like, I, I, I get that, but I, I think, I think my point is that when it comes to eating disorders, we just need to be honest with the people in our lives and, um, recognize that what tony said the the sort of origin stories of this this illness and this struggle is very complex and there aren't right. any clear answers and um and it's not a weakness it's no, not a, no. it's not you know vanity it's not willpower it's vanity, not you know. it's not a right. problem of privilege even no. which is another perspective sure. it doesn't just affect women right you know um yeah, you know what? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Now I'm yeah, please, interrupting please. you, but I just such a great point, and we haven't really addressed it yet. Um, although, you know, again, you've you've spoken about this, but this idea again that you know this is not a female disease, right? And you know, or disorder, you know, and that you know this affects men and women, and so you know, I think it's really important again that the listeners you know know that, mm-hmm. and that there is. I mean, you know, thank goodness, again, people like you who are willing and brave and will talk about this, that you as a man have struggled with this. And I think that will normalize this then for other men to seek treatment because I do think, and, and I'm, I don't, this is a guess, but, but I, I am guessing that there's probably a lot of shame around this for men, you know, particularly if it's the idea that this is a female disorder sure. and issue, sure. this isn't a male issue. And, and I, you know, like you, I don't know what you know, what the exact issue with, with that Wells therapist was. And again, there's, you know, we don't have to, you know, in any way at all, even, you know, try and wonder, but I'm just, was it potentially not on her radar, you know, that this was a male, you know, this could potentially be a male Possibly, issue. yeah. Maybe she wasn't looking for it. I mean, this was a decade and a half ago. Decade you know? and a half ago. We didn't talk about it as much back then, or we didn't think about it as much. It, you, know, you know, I know 15, 20 years ago, I think most people still thought this is, you know, more of a female-based um disorder and so and specifically have having to do with body image specifically vanity yeah. right right or just you know and, and even not really even i mean people who probably were treating this in the last 20 30, you know 30 years already understood this but i think maybe culture as a whole hasn't that 
I, you know, I think, you know, classically, we, you know, we can think of that person with anorexia, right? You know, the person who's 100 pounds, 90 right, pounds, 90 right. pounds, and, you know, just is emaciated looking. But I don't think we understand that's, you know, again, not all people with an eating disorder look like that. I mean, you know, that, right. that can absolutely right. be the late stages of anorexia nervosa, without a doubt. But that's not everybody's presentation. And so, if you're thinking gender or if you have a weight bias or you're just not thinking, uh, you might really potentially miss something that's there. Absolutely. And I, I think, like, I have such a heart, like, because I've gone through this experience, I have, like, hypersensitivity to the world of fitness and the world of health and, yeah. and good eating and clean, you know, all these like diets and, 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 you know, muscle men like Tony, right. you know, yeah, and you know, all this there, I think there's just, um, I want to get away from, cause I think it's such, there's such foundational issues when it comes to health mm-hmm. and eating well and, exercise and all these things i firmly believe in my experience this is my experience people i've dealt with people i've experienced um ran into what have you there's a lot of disordered eating Mm, wow and um even like i'm not going to call call it names but people i know personally friends who have um disordered um eating Mm. uh issues and i think um that troubles me. It like it really yeah. does trouble me, and it's hard not to like sometimes because for someone like me, you know, I have this like stupid like grain issue with my stomach doesn't take it, you know, right. and and I personally believe like the sort of gluten free craze is another form of disordered eating for some people. Mm. That's just a speculation, right? And it's a sensitivity that I have, right? But I I, I guess what I'm saying is like, how do we, how do we get away from, how do we move away from that? Like how, I mean, it's a, is it about having healthier relationships with food? I mean, obviously, but like, it seems like such a foundational core part of our being. We yeah. have to eat every day. Right. We have to exercise if we want to live like a decently long life. Sure. How do we have healthy relationships with these things? Yeah, it's such a great question. You know, and I love that idea in, you know, and yeah, how do we propagate that, right? How do we propagate this idea of a healthy relationship with food, you know, going back to what we talked about or a healthy, you know, what, what's a healthy relationship with body image? Right. You know, and, and I'm just going to speak to this, you know, just, you know, personally as well. But this idea, you know, of Instagram and, you know, we're, we're all on social media these days and, and, and I'm amazed. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% continually amazed as I, you know, go through Instagram and, as I maybe look through the Explorer page and I, you know, see perfect bodies and I see, you know, people who are, you know, presenting themselves, you know, you know, I took a hundred selfies and I posted one, right. Because the light captured everything perfect. And and this just, this, I don't know if it's dependency, but this, this need or this desire for, you know, the, the social media affirmation that, that we, you know, all maybe desperately want or seek. And, and just how far from the truth really is that or or how far is that from a healthy relationship, you know, again, with body image. And, and I have such a major concern 
uh, for young adults and, and, and maybe, you know, all ages, but, but I, you know, but again, the young adult who is being socially formed, right. And, and looking at Instagram as some type of mirror in terms of who they are supposed to be or, or how they should look. And, you know, the reality is, you know, everybody's got a different body type, you know, everybody's got a, you know, everyone is built differently. Everybody carries with them a, you know, a specific genetic code that was passed down to them that they don't have any control over. And if it's a woman, you know, who's fighting that because, you know, she wants to look like, you know, a supermodel and, you know, which is, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but, but I mean, just, you know, if there's some kind of ideal body type, and believing that I have worth or I'll have value if I look like that. That's, I, I'm frightened by that. I mean, I, I just, I'm absolutely frightened by that for, for people who, um, you know, are looking at that as some form of then I'll be happy or then I'll be accepted. I mean, it's just. It's scary. It's scary. I agree. It's, it, it's very scary. We have these curated um, representations of ourselves right. online very curated very curated i mean but you have like young people who are making careers right. by doing that Absolutely. right like people who are self-proclaimed fitness gurus right. on instagram right are not right i mean for the most part from what i've seen are not they're just you know they have quote unquote like good bodies right and 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 then they sure. make deals with uh you big know brands. protein powders right. and like brands that will pay them money to be social influencers oh i hate that word right, it's right. the worst yep. but yeah it, it's it's i think that speaks exactly what to what i was talking about yeah. it's like this foundational concern with image and um, appearance and all this outward stuff when really we need to be inward. Yes, absolutely. And I, it's hard. We all struggle with it's, it. it. Absolutely. We all struggle with it. Um, but I, I, you know, I guess I would want to say to my listeners that you are worthy. You are of worth, uh, not because of what you do physically, what you can do physically, what you look like, but your brain and your heart yeah. and how you can impact people in your life and the love that you express and the empathy that you can carry with you in this life. Yeah. Like that's, that's the true value. Yeah. yeah. And um, I guess I will jump off my soapbox and say that, um, what else do we want to talk about when it comes to eating disorders? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Well, but... I was just going to uh, real quick say yeah, yeah. that, um, you know, when I started to, like, I I want to, like, the recovery process for me, again, another one of those things where it was kind of foggy, don't know if there was a turning point necessarily, but I do remember coming back home from Swansea, Wales, and the doctor telling me, your heart almost stopped. Wow. And that being obviously a wake-up call. Right. I don't know if that was the trigger exactly, but it was. I think it was part of it. And then I was able to kind of just, a, a, a switch was turned in a way. It wasn't that simple. Yeah. But I, I was able to start just 
pouring in calories. And my mother, bless her, uh, started making me like every morning uh, these shakes with peanut butter and olive oil and like all this stuff to just get calories in my body because I was so depleted so depleted. Wow. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I love her for doing that and helping me through that. But it's, um, I guess I bring that up because it's, uh, like the sort of origin story of eating disorders. It's, uh, it's individual. It's up to you. It's how you do it. It's, it's not necessarily going to be a clear path forward, but you know, right. I love you. And I want to talk if you want to talk. If you are struggling with eating disorders, I I I would love to talk to you. Um, I I do enjoy talking about this stuff, and I I think uh, embrace vulnerability. Talk to someone if you are struggling. Talk to someone. Absolutely. Reach out to reach out to a therapist. Connect with friends. Be honest and open up your heart. And through that, uh, we'll we'll find some find some healing. So. Yeah, and just, you know, I again, you know, because this isn't necessarily my area of expertise, but just with a quick Google search and, you know, wanting to find a potential resource. And, and again, I, you know, I cannot speak to this particular nonprofit organization, but the National Eating Disorder Association, you know, was was a quick find. Yeah. And their telephone number, you know, if I would just want to give this out, is 1-800-931-2237. And once again, one 800 931 2237. Now, again, I, I don't know anything about this organization. It's a Google search, uh, but potentially it's a place to start. Yeah. And, you know, and again, this is the National Eating Disorders Association. So, but, um, but yeah, please reach out. I mean, this, this is not, um, this is a very serious topic. This is a very serious subject. And it, it really requires, again, specialized treatment. And um, yes, and, and it's, you know, I think the listeners can tell this is, you know, something that you and I are both very passionate about and, and, you know, with both of maybe our soapboxes that we got on in the last 10 minutes or so, but, um, but, uh, yeah, we, well, cool. Well, I think that, I think that does it. Yeah. Thank you, Tony, for being here. Yeah, no, thanks for always having me on. Of course. And to you listeners, uh, thanks for listening. I, I really appreciate, lately I've been getting a lot of uh, feedback and people reaching out via email and uh, keep that coming. It, uh, it it warms my heart and I love it. And it just makes me so sort of happy that we're sort of building this community of empathy heroes and um, give uh, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at you me empathy we also have a fun facebook group um on facebook.com slash groups slash you me empathy all those links are on you empathy.com and uh thanks thanks for listening thanks to tony of tony time tony time and to you listeners as i always say i'm here you're here we're here together on this wayward overwhelming awe-inspiring pale blue dot we have each other It's you, me, empathy.